Father in heaven, we are thankful for this opportunity, and we pray for your Holy Spirit. We ask to be taught by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I get started, uh, I would like to tell you that I am more than me. I have a wife and two children. I want to show you a, we call it a selfie, I guess what you call it, yes? Uh, this is uh, my wife, uh, my five-year-old daughter, my two-year-old son. Uh, he, that look on his face, you pray for my wife. Okay, we, uh, we, our daughter did not stop talking since she was born, and our son has not stopped moving since he was born. And then I go and travel for a weekend like this, and I was on the phone with my wife, and she said, ah. So um, God bless her. Uh, incredible. I, I praise God for the wife that I've been given. She is patient enough to live with me, then patient enough to live with the children that have my genes. I'd like to start with a statement this evening uh, from the book Help for Daily Living. This is taking, uh, it's, it's an excerpt from the book Ministry of Healing, actually. It's a chapter. And here it is. What a man is has more influence than what he says. What a man is has more influence than what he says. You realize that when it comes to evangelism, nothing's more powerful than who you are. All the training in the world and the right techniques and the right understanding, the right uh, going to a seminar like this, uh, quite frankly, is, is, is great. I'm glad you're doing it, and I'm glad that I'm here too. But the reality, it's who you are that determines the success in evangelism that takes place. I became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian largely because of one man. My father. He preached his first sermon about a year ago, so it wasn't from his sermons. He's never given a Bible study, so it really wasn't from his Bible studies. So why? Why did he have so much influence on me? It's because he is a Christian. He loves God with all of his heart. And I could see it. My dad's a salesman. Used to be a salesman. He's not anymore. He runs a log truck in Pennsylvania, hardwood. Um, but he used to be a chainsaw salesman. And I would see, I would travel with my dad every now and then. I remember one time we would travel together and this dealer started shouting at my father, being cruel to him, cursing him. And my father said nothing. And at the end of the conversation, I don't know, about an hour, I don't know how long it takes my dad to go through. My dad moves slowly. By the time he finished his sales talk, whatever, he had sold a couple thousand dollars worth of chainsaws to this man who was angry. And I remember getting in the car as a young, just entering my teens, saying, Dad, how could you ever let anyone talk to you like that? And my dad's response was simple. Just because he got up on the wrong side of bed doesn't mean I have to. <laughs> and I, I learned something. Uh, my father didn't return anger with anger. Um, he has a son who does that. And God is changing my heart. I, I, my mom is Irish-German descent. I'll just blame everything on her. No, it's not that way. But, but there is, I, I have seen that what a man is can change. What a woman is changes much more than what we know sometimes. It's who you know. Amen? This is coming from a larger section here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. It is our own character and experience that determine our influence upon others. In order to convince others of the power of Christ's grace, we must know its power in our own hearts and lives. 
The gospel we present for the saving of souls must be the gospel by which our own souls are saved. You know, it's one thing to go out and minister, and I've heard many ministers say this, and church leaders say, I'm going out and ministering, trying to draw people close to Jesus, and I don't know him myself. We need to know Jesus. He needs to be our personal friend, the Lord of our lives, the, the love of our lives. And when that happens, incredible things take place in evangelism. Evangelism is not successful without this. Only through a living faith in Christ as a personal Savior is it possible to make our influence felt in a skeptical world. And I want to just focus on that sentence very briefly. If we've ever lived in a skeptical world, it's today. Today, the world is more skeptical than it has ever been before. People question everything. Even in our own church, we question the Word of God at times. My friends, I want to emphasize something, that the only way to have your influence felt in a skeptical world is to have a living faith in Jesus Christ. People can argue with your facts. They can argue with what you say, but they can't argue with what's taking place inside your life. If we would draw sinners out of the swift running current, our own feet must be firmly set upon the rock, Christ Jesus. Tonight, we're going to focus on four areas that I believe are key to helping prepare for evangelistic ministry, evangelistic outreach. Now, these four areas, some of you could come up with ten, some of you might only come up with one, but choosing four tonight, is that okay? As we go through these four, I think it will be very helpful for us to understand how they play into preparation for evangelism. Now, evangelism, you're going to hear this tomorrow night, but I'll tell you now, and you already know, evangelism is not an event. Evangelism is a cycle. Evangelism is a lifestyle. Evangelism is who you are. Evangel living, I've heard someone call it that. So this is evangelism. And for evangel living to take place, for evangelism cycle to be taking place, this is the kind of experience that we as evangelists must have. How, many, how would you feel uncomfortable if someone came and said, hello, evangelist, so-and-so. If someone called you an evangelist, would you get a little bit weird? I'm not an evangelist. But you realize that every single one of us is an evangelist. Every single one of us is a missionary. I'm not making this up. You know, the Bible says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, that you should call forth, show forth the praise of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All of us are in that position, amen? amen. Okay, first area, recognition of our sinfulness apart from God. Point number two, humbling ourselves before God. Point number three, communicating with God and point number four, receiving instruction from God. We're going to spend a time on each one. The first one we will be looking at is recognition of our sinfulness apart from God. I remember sitting in a church, my five- or six-year-old self, sitting next to my parents, and we were meeting in the basement of the guys' dorm at Blue Mountain Academy in Pennsylvania. I'm a Pennsylvanian by birth. And my dad's a strict man. He was old school. I don't know, maybe some of you here are old school. When we sat and listened to a sermon, we sat and listened to a sermon. I didn't care if I was six years old or 20 years old. And so my dad, if I started acting up, he would just reach over with his hands and he'd pinch the inside of my leg. Have you ever had that happen to you? And then if I yelled, he'd take me out and I would yell more. So that was the experience. So I listened to sermons. I had this 
close connection. As I was listening to the sermon, I remember one time I was convinced, I am not going to sin anymore. I'm not going to fight anymore. My sister and I had a very, we always were bickering. This is never going to happen to me again. And I remember by the time I got out to the parking lot, it was all done. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The carnal mind is what? Enmity against God. You and I must realize who we are apart from God. David did. After his sin with Bathsheba, he realized this and he prayed this, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Please notice who's doing it. Purge me with hyssop. Who's supposed to purge David? God is. Wash me. Who's supposed to wash him? God is. Create in me a clean heart. Who's supposed to do the creating? God is. Renew a right spirit with me. Who's supposed to do the renewing? My friends, it is God who does these things. And so many times I know, I speak from, I was raised, I'm not sixth generation, I'm second generation. But I've gone the whole way through the Adventist school system. And I can tell you this, that I have tried to save myself. I have done the right things. I have said the right things. I have been at the right places. But that is not enough. It's when I came to realize who I really was apart from Christ. When I saw Jesus as who he was and Chuck Holtry as he is, then I saw what I needed. And it was a miracle. You must recognize who you are apart from God. You're not... I'm afraid I would fail if I was going to some kind of special clinic where you're supposed to make yourself feel better. I'm, I'm not doing a good job tonight. You are miserable wretches without God. With Him, you are a son and daughter of God. But I want to emphasize something. That's with Him. Apart from Him, what are we? Not worth much. Except he gave everything for us, which makes us worth everything. What incredible God we have. Sometimes I can't understand. It's a mystery of redemption, uh, what God has done for us. He continues on. He says, cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. When all these things take place, the washing, the creating, the renewing, the Holy Spirit coming to the heart. Then the next verse takes place. Then will I do what? Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. It's when I have that indwelling Holy Spirit, when I've been renewed and washed and recreated, that's when a miracle can take place. You know, I've seen people um, preach powerful sermons without results. And I've seen abject sinners surrender to Christ, see miracles. My wife and I had an argument. I know it's highly unlikely my wife and I would have an argument, but we did. I was in full-time evangelism with Amazing Facts, and we were at a little small church in Virginia. And I don't know what it was, typical marital spat, but I went to the evangelistic series that night to preach, and my heart was not right. 
I knew I couldn't preach like that, but I didn't know what to do. So I went into a back room and said, God, please have mercy on the people who have come to hear your truth. You spoke through Balaam's donkey. You can speak through me. Please help me. I went out that night and I blundered through it. But I tell you, that night people heard the gospel. It wasn't because of the messenger's gift. It was because of the messenger's I guess I recognized my sinfulness before God. And God was able to use me in spite of who I was. It's okay to say that you don't have it all. We as Adventists have been raised with what we call a facade. Don't mess up in public. (laughs) My mom would get so frustrated with me. You don't do that. You can't do that in public. But mom, you know how teenagers, and I challenged it. But you know what? I learned, in spite of my argument against my mom about wanting to be who I really was, the reality was I've always worn a mask. And it wasn't until I got to college and I started realizing I don't need to have a mask on, that God was able to do something. I don't know if some of you are wearing a mask tonight, but I would almost guarantee you that there's a large percentage that wear masks. We Adventists know that we better look a certain way. We better dress a certain way. We better eat a certain way. And we have all things done a certain way when we're in public. And sometimes, even just to try to get someplace with God. Now, I want to be emphasized something. I try to dress a certain way because I love Jesus. I try to eat a certain way because I love Jesus. I want to be crystal clear. I'm not trying to to get on the outward things, but those outward things are simply outward things that are a result of a root that's been founded in Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you um, tonight with this quotation, to know oneself is what? (laughs) Great knowledge. Know who you are. True self-knowledge will lead to a humility that will allow the Lord to train the mind and mold and discipline the character. The grace of humility is greatly needed by the workers for Christ in this period of the world's history. True self-knowledge will lead to a humility that will allow the Lord to train the mind. When I start realizing who Chuck is, I start becoming humble. Now, what is humility? This is our next step here, humbling ourselves with people. We looked at the first one was recognizing our sinfulness apart from God. Now we're looking at humbling ourselves before God. What is humility? You know what I used to think humility was? Humility is when you get caught. Humility is when you do something stupid. That's humility. But humility is, is Jesus humble? Well, yes. Well, was he caught? Has he done something stupid? No. So humility has to be something deeper than some of our generic understandings of humility. Um, Matthew chapter 18. This is going to be our verse we'll look at briefly. And he said, Verily I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So first, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be converted and you must become like a little child. Then he explains it more in the next verse, verse 3, verse 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
So it's not just becoming like a little child. I must have the humility of a little child. So what is childlike humility? That's the question. Now, there's a lot of... We're going to be looking at some Bible passages. I hope you don't mind doing a little bit of Bible study with me. But before we do, I have children. And one thing that I love doing with them is seeing how they trust me. I like to push it to the edge as far as I possibly can. Uh, My daughter, I don't know why she enjoys this. I think it's because at early age, I would put her on top of the refrigerator and say, jump. I catch her. And now she comes running with me, daddy, 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 put me on top of the refrigerator. She's five years old, so the catch is getting a little bit harder these days. Um, But I put her up there, and she jumps, and there's no greater joy in her heart than jumping out in midair knowing that I'm going to catch her. Can you imagine us like that with God? God, I don't know what's going to become of this, but I'm going out. Bam. Man, this is awesome. But too many times when we put everything and all of our faith in God, sometimes it's actually stressful. Hard to believe, isn't it? We will jump out but we're reaching out and trying to grab the cliff as we're falling from it. No! But but when we give everything to God and we absolutely trust Him, going out and putting all of our life in His hands is fun. That is what it is like to have childlike faith. But what is this childlike humility? The Bible tells us what humility is. It gives us an idea of what children act like. Do you mind opening your Bibles with me? The second, excuse me, First Kings. First Kings chapter three and verse seven. First Kings chapter three and verse seven. This is the story of Solomon. He has just become king. He's offering up sacrifice at Gibeon. Uh, the temple has not been built yet in Jerusalem. And in verse seven, he says a very interesting statement. He's speaking to God, and he says. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. And then he describes why he says that. I know not how to go out or how to come in. I don't know how to go out or how to come in. I'm a little child. Now, I understand that. My son has just recently learned how to open a door. He's two years old. And uh, he's a little short for his age. He's just finally got to the point where he can reach high enough and turn that doorknob and open it up. He's learned how to go out. But he was stuck on the porch the other day and couldn't get back in because it's a different kind of latch and he wasn't heavy enough to throw himself against the door to open it. Solomon said, I'm like a little child. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. I don't know where to go. A little child just doesn't know where. You and I, to have the humility of a little child, would have to say, I don't know how to go out, God, or how to come in. You're going to have to show me where you want me to go. That would be a little child. Let me give you another passage. This is found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 6. Jeremiah has just received a call to to the prophetic, uh, the ministry uh, of a prophet. And you remember what Jeremiah said. Uh, God has called him. He says, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, therefore... And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctify thee and ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. This is verse, uh, verse 5, chapter 1. But notice Jeremiah's response in verse 6. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, 
And I'm reading from the King James Version. Some others might say something a little bit different. But here's what it says. Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Cannot speak. So I see Solomon saying, I don't know how to go out or come in. And now I have Jeremiah saying, I don't even know how to speak because I'm like a child. Children don't know how to speak. And I'm going to pick on my son again. Uh, Just like his sister was speaking at nine months old, my son is two and a half, and he's just now starting to put together little small sentences. um, His sister does all the talking for him. He doesn't need to talk. He is slow of speech. He doesn't know how to say things sometimes. Sometimes he, today I was on the phone, and he gave me this whole long sentence. And at the end, I just told my wife, I said, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. She goes, I didn't either. We had no idea. When that happens, we ask my daughter, who understands him. Do we sometimes have to say, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to speak. Some of you, if you're like me, may have made a fool of yourself and said the wrong thing at the wrong time or said the right thing way too late. That happens. We have to come and say, God, I don't know what to speak. I don't know what to go. I don't know where you want me to be. I don't know what you want me to say. God, I need you. That is humility. That is humility. Recognize our utter, absolute need of Jesus. Um, the next one you can look up in your personal time, Psalm 131, verses 1 and 2, and that's realizing the limit, our limitations and resting in God. My question would be is, was Jesus humble like this? Was Jesus humble like we've been describing on this screen? He was. In John chapter 5, John chapter 5, in verse 19, Jesus makes a very interesting statement uh, coming from someone who is the Son of God, uh, the Prince of the entire universe, John chapter 5, verse 19, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. He almost gives you a picture of Jesus is imitating the Father. The Father does it, and Jesus imitates Have you seen children do that before? Sometimes we wish we didn't see it happen. I hear my daughter yelling at my son, and I'm thinking, where did she get that? And then, uh uh-oh. She's using the same exact phrase that I used on her the other day. Jesus is using that to say, I imitate God the Father. What I don't do anything of myself, what I see him do, I do. But look at verse 30, same chapter. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Jesus says this same concept over in John chapter 5, John chapter 6, John chapter 7, John chapter 8, John chapter 14. This is the message of the book of John. Jesus is simply doing what God has told him to do. Was Jesus humble? Yes. And was Jesus successful in evangelism? Absolutely. First two points we've looked at. Recognizing our sinfulness apart from God, which actually does sometimes lead us to humility. And humbling ourselves before God. When we do these two things, God can use us as a force for him in evangelism. 
The next one is communicating with God. I'd like to read a statement from Ministry of Healing as we start this section. Jesus, when preparing for some great trial or some important work, would resort to the solitude of the mountains and spend the night in prayer to his Father. A night of prayer preceded the ordination of the apostles and the Sermon on the Mount. The transfiguration, the agony of the judgment hall on the cross, and the resurrection glory. I found that fascinating. For some reason, I had not picked it up when I'd read Ministry of Healing, and when someone shared these slides with me, and I started adjusting them, and I read this, I thought, wow, Jesus did that. Before the major events in his life, he spent the whole night in prayer. How much more could you and I benefit from spending time in prayer? You know, it continues on, it says, we too must have time set apart for meditation and prayer and for receiving spiritual refreshing. And then this next sentence, we do not value the power and efficacy of prayer as we should. We do not value the power and efficacy. What does that mean? The ability to work of prayer as we should. Why? Why don't we? Why do you and I today Maybe, I, maybe you do value the power of efficacy, so maybe, maybe I should put it broader. Why do we as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists sometimes, not value the power of prayer the way we should? And you can respond back if you'd like. There's lots of reasons. Maybe it's different for different people. Fear? Okay, absolutely. Sometimes because of fear, we don't value the power and efficacy of prayer. Yeah, absolutely. We get very busy in the things that we're doing. And speaking from a guy perspective, I, I often, my natural reaction is to solve the problem before, to, before it is praying. Praying is not my first reaction. As, and maybe some of you can understand what I'm saying. My first reaction is to, to solve the problem. Uh, what are some other reasons why we maybe don't value the power and efficacy of prayer as we should? Yes. We haven't been walking with Jesus, um, so we haven't had a chance to keep that communication and, and prayer and seeing the results from it. Thank you. Maybe we don't understand prayer. Is that possible that we, Seventh-day Adventists, couldn't understand prayer? I mean, I, I, because this first lecture is on being personally prepared, I'm going to speak, I'm, I'm kind of bearing a little bit of my personal life before you. Is that okay? Help us see a little bit. My first year of doing evangelism, we went, our final presentation, our final series was in Newfoundland, in Canada. It was October, November. Uh, if any of you have been to Newfoundland, that's the, that's the one month you don't want to be there. You know, and so that's why they brought me up at that time. So you could do an evangelistic series uh, when people don't want to be outside because it's raining and 38 degrees. Um, so the winter sports haven't started yet, and the beautiful summer months have passed. And so and it's not really good hunting time. So that was a good time for them to have evangelistic seminar. We came to do it. I was just the beginning person, so I was chuck for cheap, inexpensive, and we did a seminar. I prayed, God, please, I don't want snow. 
please no snow. Um, the evangelistic series started out slow. The year before, they had evangelistic series. They had 50 people attend. Um, opening night, the year that I was there, the next year, there was 12. So instantly, I was kind of behind the eight ball. Does that make sense? It's looking bad, if you don't mind me using that expression. Um, it's just not looking good. And so I'm going, please, no snow. Uh, I should have told you, the only people who came to the seminar who were the, who there were some nights, the only people at the seminar that were Adventists was the pastor and his wife. The local congregation just was not supportive of what was going on. One of them had uh, said they no longer believed in spirit of prophecy. Another person said, I don't longer believe in evangelism. So we found it looking pretty not healthy. It, it seemed that way to me. So I'm praying, God, please, I need any kind of help you're going to give me. And it snowed. And the crowd dropped. What do you do? What do you do? I tell you what I did. I went out for a walk in the woods, and the woods aren't that big, that high up, and I'm not quite sure. The, the trees are a whole lot shorter in Newfoundland. And as I was out walking in the snow through the trees, I was yelling out loud, yelling to God. Don't you see what I'm doing? I'm living in almost nothing. I'm here trying to share the gospel here with these people. We're doing everything we possibly can. And what's happening? Snow. You can at least control snow. I know God can't force people's hearts. Am I right? But I know that He can stop snow. I know my God. Can you hear what I'm saying? Ever felt like that? I'm there yelling. And then God said, not audibly, I don't hear, I haven't had that privilege, but I've sensed God speaking to my heart. Chuck, what are you reading for your devotions? Well, I was reading through the Bible, and at that point I was in the book of Acts. I just read about Jesus, uh, Paul, excuse me, first missionary journey. If any of you want to get a good, exciting evangelistic story, read Paul's first missionary journey. Kicked out, kicked out, stoned, beaten, kicked out, went back and said, through much tribulation we will enter the tri kingdom of heaven. That's, that's kind of what it looked like. And as I went through and I looked at it, God said, do you think that Paul was praying for success, Chuck? I said, yeah, I'm sure he was. You think he stopped doing evangelism because he didn't have success in Laconia? No. I don't understand the mind of God. But it's for me to work and to trust him. God taught me that. Communicate with God. Be real with God. If you're struggling with something, you're saying, why God? Ask it. And then open up your heart and be quiet enough to let him speak back to you. It's okay. I think God likes it when we're real with him. I think there's a lot of Christians that are struggling with being real with God. Be real with God. Well, um, I praise God for that because uh, something happened. That next month I fell off a ladder and shattered my elbow. I have a fake radio head in here. And I cracked my hip in three places. I was stuck up in a wheelchair for six weeks. 
As soon as I landed in the hospital, I found out something else. My wife was pregnant. Talk about my wife in morning sickness trying to take care of me in a wheelchair. It was just the... But you know what? Because I had been through what I had been through in the snowy fortress, uh, forest of Newfoundland, I didn't question God why. I said, okay. So this is what's happening. So be it. My wife said, are you okay? I said, I've already been through the forest. I've already been through this. And God has got to have something in charge. You know, sometimes God lets us go through something, prepare us for something else. We do not value the power and efficacy of prayer as we should. Douglas almost gave his last name. I'm not allowed to do that because a uh, great guy, but it's not good to share names. Was out co-portering with me. He was one of a culporter team. I was one of the leaders. We put him out on the street, and as he went door to door, at the end of the day, I was also the accountant, and so I accepted all the funds from all the students and the tally sheets. I said, so how was your day? And he said, it was great. The Lord blessed. I said, could I have your tally sheet? Sure, he gave it to me, and it said zero, 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 zero. Whoa, something's not right with this. And I said, are you okay? He said, absolutely. He goes, the Lord will bless. I'm sure he will. I said, okay. So the next day he was out, and... Um, and at halfway through the day, I said, brother, how's it going? Lord's blessing. Oh, good, good. I couldn't wait to see his sheet that night. And that night, he handed in to me, and it was zero, 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 zero. And then I did something that I should have done the day before, which is what? I hadn't prayed. I thought if I just put him in better territory, I'll solve the problem. I'm a guy who likes to solve my own problems. If I just simply prayed and let God solve the problems, I might be better off. So that day, we had a very large team. Those of you who go on literature evangelism before doing mega books, I was running a 15-passenger van. So we dropped Douglas off first, and then I told everyone, he needs prayer. Let's pray for him to get some books out on this street. And he said, okay, let's pray. And one person said, let's pray for a great controversy specifically. I said, okay, that sounds great, specific prayer. Another person said, no, let's pray for two. Amen. We did. I dropped everyone off. 45 minutes later, as I was coming back through, I got a radio call from Douglas saying, Mobile One, that's what they called me, I need bread, or in other words, I need books. So I came up and I said, great, what do you need? You know what he told me, right? Two great controversies. We saw a miracle happen like that over and over that summer. We do not value the power and efficacy of prayer as we should. The reason we don't see miracles is because we don't put ourselves where miracles are necessary. We always put ourselves in situations where we can solve our own problems. And so we don't need a miracle. Put yourself where you need a miracle and then pray for one. I'm not saying to tempt God. I want to be crystal clear for that. But put yourself out in ministry for God and then pray for God to work. And that's when we need miracles. Um... I think another reason sometimes why we don't see the power and efficacy of prayer is because we're too busy. You know, I was, my wife and I were out walking with our daughter before our son came along, and uh, we saw this guy going down the street. I was still fascinated. He, he, had, uh, he was going across the street on one of his scooters, you know, and he had a, a headphone in, and he was playing with the phone that was connected to the headphone and holding a conversation with a young man who was walking next to him. And I was just amazed at how many things a person can do at one time. But you realize that sometimes we don't do those things effectively. Does that make sense? Um, I think sometimes as we as Christians, even in our Christianness, 
we're like that. We're on this committee and this committee and this committee, and we're doing this, and we're involved with this, and we're doing this, and we're trying to take care of this with our family, and all of these things at the same exact time. And prayer just tends to be a breath. We take it very seriously. We give it a breath here and a breath there. When God wants it to be the breath of our souls. Taking the time, be still and know that I am God. There is, uh, someone shared this with me, uh, uh, some key things to remember to pray about when you're praying. And when they shared this with me, I was at my first, I was first year teacher. I was a man by the name of John Bradshaw. Have you heard of John Bradshaw? I was teaching at a little school in Arkansas called Watch the Hills Academy, and he came to do a week of prayer. And he shared this concept, and it's just been fantastic. I've held on to it. What to pray for? Well, the one thing is praise. Typically, we don't praise. Am I right? Well, I can't speak for you, but I didn't typically praise. My, prayer request went, my prayers went something like this. Father, I'm in help. Please. But, but prayer, first of all, is praise to God. We need to praise. We don't praise God near the amount that we should. And if you look at, we're going to be looking at texts straight from Daniel. Uh, Daniel was a great prayer. 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 How would you say that? He was a great Yes. And here is some things we can learn from his life. He says, I have prayed to the Lord my God, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy. You can see how he starts out with praising God. Uh, this is in his, that, that great prayer there found in Daniel chapter 9. Then the next thing that we see coming into the prayer is confession. He says, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Not only does he praise God for who he is, but he recognizes who he is. It's starting to sound a little bit like what we've been discussing, recognizing who he is apart from God. And you realize Daniel has no recorded sin against himself. And yet he comes here acting as if he is a sinner. Well, he is a sinner, but he's acknowledging something that we don't even know about. Compare this with the uh, Pharisee there in Luke chapter is it 18. The Pharisee comes in and says, I'm so glad I'm not like everybody else. His prayer is not heard, we're told in Luke chapter 18. But we here we have Daniel, who we know is a great guy, a great man of God, and he comes and says, we have done wickedly. See the difference between those prayers? You don't have to be a publican to act humble. You could be a great person like Daniel and still have to be humble, amen? Then something else we see in Daniel. This is not from Daniel 9, this is Daniel chapter 6. And we also see this in Daniel 2. It says, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now, this is when he was caught praying and thrown into the lion's den. What's he doing? He's giving thanksgiving to God. So I praise God for what he's doing in my life. I praise him for who he is. I confess who I am, and that I need him. And then I thank him for what he's doing in my life. I thank him for what he's about to do. And... Um, here it is again, Daniel chapter 2, verse 23. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. Remember, he had prayed for God to reveal to him what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed. And when he did, what does he do? He thanks him. I know that sounds simple, but a lot of times we only have enough time to ask and maybe not enough time to thank. We need to thank God. You know, when my little daughter comes up to me and says, thank you, you know how hard it is to train someone to say thank you? 
your parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Thank you is not an accident. It takes training, am I right? But when it comes out of sheer thanks, I'm speechless sometimes. That's awesome. And I think that God is just waiting for us to come up and say, thank you. He gives us so much. What an awesome God we have. And then in Daniel chapter 9, going back to Daniel chapter 9, there's a time to ask for our request. And we see him clearly asking for his request, supplication, asking for his request here. He says, Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Praying and asking for a specific request. Oftentimes, I do my requests first. I'm going to challenge you. Do your requests last sometime. And praise God first. Save your request till the end. And I think sometimes our requests change. In fact, here's a statement. It goes along this line. The prayer that does not succeed in modulating our wishes, in changing the passionate desire into still submission, the anxious, tumultuous expectation into quiet surrender, is not true prayer. What does that mean? Prayer changes us. In the midst of my prayer, my desires change. In the midst of the prayer, my anxiety changes. Prayer changes me just by the act of praying. Here's another quotation. The life is most holy in which there is the least of petition and desire and most of waiting on God. That in which petition often passes into thanksgiving. Pray until prayer makes you forget your own wishes and leaves or merges it into God's will. Here's one more. I didn't realize I had so many quotations here. Are you ready for one more? Beautiful. Divine wisdom has given us prayer, not as a means to obtain the good things of the earth, but as a means whereby we learn to do without them. Not as a means to escape evil, but as a means whereby we become strong to meet it. Why do you pray? God, save me from this? Are your prayers, God, please don't send a snowstorm? Or are your prayers, God, give me strength to perform well by your grace in the midst of the snowstorm? Two different prayer requests. God, give me the courage and strength to live with what you send instead of God, change what you're sending. Two different ways of looking at God. Communicating with God. So first, you and I must realize what we are apart from God. Then we humble ourselves before God. We communicate with God. And our final point this evening is this, receiving instruction from God. Receiving instruction from God. Fourth volume of the Testimonies, page 441. In the Bible, we have the unerring counsel of God. I love this quotation. It's one of my favorites. In the Bible, we have what kind of counsel? Unerring counsel. Then it says this, its teachings practically carried out will fit men, and I'm going to add, that's spoken in generic terms, so I'm going to add in women. It's going to fit humanity for any position of duty. It is the voice of God speaking every day to the soul. You want to hear God's voice? You want to hear his voice in your soul? How do you hear it? In what? In his word. So this is God's voice to Chuck. 
And he's going to probably say something different to Chuck than he's going to say to you, brother. Am I right? But he's going to speak to both of us. The mother will read it and find about raising her children. The husband will read it, find about how to relate to his wife. The employee will read it and find about how he can be faithful in his work. The boss will read it and find out how he can be kind and true to those who work underneath him. In this book, everyone is spoken to. And it teaches us how to carry out the duty that God has placed before us. Daniel, not Daniel, David, in Psalms 119, 130, says, The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. The entrance of thy words give light. You know, having devotions was not an easy thing for me. I was raised on fiction. Uh, I started reading fiction as soon as I started reading. I loved books. My mom would stop by the corner bookstore when I was in elementary school, and I, my parents didn't have a lot of money, but they made money for books. I got a new book every week. I had hundreds of books. I read all of them inside out. Several of them I read two or three times. I remember one Sabbath, um, I was reading a book that was probably not the most ideal Sabbath reading material, and my dad's a wise man, so he said, son, Tell me about the book you're reading. He was kind of hoping that I would get convicted. And so I started telling him. I told him for a half an hour what the book was about. I retold the book to him. And then he just looked at me. He didn't say anything. And I said, maybe I should read something else. And he said, hmm. And he went back to doing whatever he was doing. <laughs> I'm a smart dad. I don't say that works for everybody. It worked for me. Um, so by the time I got to college, I went to a college, and they were teaching us to have devotions. I thought, ooh, devotions, okay. So I would pick up my Bible, and I would read it, and quite frankly, it was boring. I would read the Bible, and it was not something I looked forward to. And I would read it because I was supposed to read it. You know, that's what God wants me to do, and I'll do it. But day in and day out, I'd read a chapter, and then I'd go for a walk and pray and sing or do something, but man, it Okay, I know this is a blessing to somebody. Maybe someday I'll be blessed by it. You know what happened? It took two years of having devotions every single day before all of a sudden I got something from my devotions. I hope I'm not discouraging anybody. I hope I'm encouraging you. Now, I started out at very simple way. You know what it is? There's a book called Desire of Ages. Have you heard of the book Desire of Ages? In the book Desire of Ages, it goes through the Gospels. And so what it would, I would read the section in the Gospels that was being talked about in that chapter, and then I'd read the chapter. I did that every day for two years. I went through the book Desire of Ages seven times. Don't get too excited. Here's what happened. The first couple times, you know how, if any of you read Desire of Ages, you read the story and then there's the sermon part, right? Every chapter is divided. It doesn't come out as a division, but it's really what it is. It's story and sermon. Well, whenever I got to the sermon part, I skipped it. I went to the next story. So I skipped a whole part of the Desire of Ages the first couple times I went through. I was like, oh, I just want to read the story. But as I was doing that, slowly the entrance of God's word brought light. 
And I remember my junior year in college, I was reading the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. As I read Daniel chapter 1, I won't tell you what it is because you'll laugh at me, but I read Daniel chapter 1 and I came upon a verse and all of a sudden, I understood it for Chuck. It was a personal application. It didn't apply to anyone else. It applied to me. I got it. It makes sense. That was one of the greatest experiences I think I've ever had. God still speaks. I want to encourage you. If you aren't having, taking time to have your devotion, spending time with God. Now, there's people who have set times. There's certain people who say it has to be in the morning. There's other people who do it in the evening. I'm just saying, take time with God every day. Take time. And I guarantee you, it takes effort. Okay, anyone? No. Don't raise your hand. I'll just stay for myself. As a married man, I found that it took time to learn how to communicate with my wife. Any other men understand what I'm saying? Don't raise your hands. You know what I'm saying, okay? They, they think differently. Do you know that God thinks differently than us? And it takes us a while to learn how to communicate with him. It's okay. You know, I learn how to communicate with my wife. You know why? Because I love her. And it's worth it. And I learn how to communicate with God for the same exact reason. So be willing to put a little bit of effort into it. It's going to be worth the dividends way much. So I have more understanding. David also said this, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. Uh, I had a teacher in college who would quote this to us. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. It's good. But I'd have to say the Bible is not just for, test, uh, just for instruction and meditation. There's something more with the Word of God. 1 Peter 123, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. My friend, in the word, there is the power to change us, to create a new birth. And I use the word create because it's a miracle. It's not something that just simply I was an angry, bitter teenager. I ran away from home I don't know how many times. The Word of God changed me. It's a miracle. God changed me. I'm not perfect, but I'm sure not what I used to be. It's been a change, and that change could have never been done by me. No psychologist could have ever worked that change in my mind. It was worked by God himself. There is power in the incorruptible, living word of God. There's power in it. You know, there's uh, education, page 2, 126, puts it this way. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the word of God. There it is. Beautiful. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the word of God. This word imparts power it begets life. Every command is a promise, accepted by the will, received into the soul. It brings with it the life of the infinite one. It transforms the nature, excuse me, and recreates the soul in the image of God. When God says something, it happens. I've been about to sneeze for the last two minutes. I'm trying not to sneeze, excuse me. When God says something, it happens. When you and I say something, not necessarily, unless it's to our children, and then that's not necessarily either. 
But when God says, for example, um, if God looked at the carpet and said, okay, this carpet is red, and Jesus was here and said the carpet was red, you know what happens? The carpet becomes red. Why? Because he has creative power. What he says happens. God cannot lie. You know why he cannot lie? Because once he says it, it is. You and I could say this carpet's red and we look foolish unless we laid new carpet in or dyed it, right? But it wouldn't be just our word that does it. With God, his word does it. He says it and it is. That word that just says it and it is, is here. Study it. This is power. Power like you've never seen before. This is hope. Hope like you've never had before. This is love like you've never experienced before. This word is awesome. If you find a part of it that doesn't make sense, go to a part that does make sense, but spend time in it. This is incredible. Incredible word that we have. We've looked at four things tonight. We're going to close with a prayer that's given in, in the beautiful book, Steps to Christ. But we looked at four things. We've looked at the fact that we must recognize our sinfulness apart from God. We must humble ourselves before God. We must communicate with God. And we must receive instruction from God. But there's something else that comes in personal preparation. And that is surrendering our lives to God. I'd like to close with a quotation from the book Steps to Christ. Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first work. You're about to walk out to the gym, kneel beside your bed. You're about to go to work because you slept in, kneel beside your bed. The kids are up and screaming. Do a very quick kneel beside your bed. But kneel beside your bed. Even kneel in your bed and lift up your heart and say, God, I want to consecrate my life to you today. Make this your very first work. Let your prayer be, take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at your feet. Use me today in your service. Abide with me and let all my work be wrought in thee. This is a daily matter. Each morning, consecrate yourself to God for that day. Surrender all your plans to him to be carried out or given up, as his providence shall indicate. And thus, day by day, you may be giving your life into the hands of God. And thus, your life will be molded more and more after the life of Christ. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the enemies of the apostles took note of Peter and John that they had been with Jesus. Something was different in them. And that's my desire for us. The people take note. These people at this Fallbrook SDA church, they're different. They've been with Jesus. Even those from Arizona or wherever we're from, they've been with Jesus. There's something different about them. You know, my dad, I started with him, and I'm going to close with him if that's okay. I remember we'd be driving down the highway. And one day as we were driving down the highway, my cousin was uh, sitting in the car and we drove by and it was one of those billboards. You know those billboards that show way too much skin? 
And uh, my cousin was popping an eyeball, thoroughly enjoying the billboard, and my dad looked at me and said, what are you looking at? My dad's a pretty calm man, but he attacked my cousin pretty strong on that one. And my cousin said, well, if they're going to show it, I'm going to look. And my dad said, that's not what a real man does. That's what I've always heard. You know, all my friends around me used to curse. My dad never cursed. But all my friends cursed. I know, I went to an Adventist school. I'm just telling you. This is the experience that I had. So all my friends are cursing, but my dad didn't curse. And so in the back of my mind, I knew real men don't curse. Real men don't lose their temper. Real men don't take second looks at billboards. That's not what a real man is. And inadvertently, something else was being ingrained in my heart. That's not what a real Christian is either. What a person is, is much more important than what they say. Can we pray with that thought? Our Father in heaven, tonight, we want to praise you for being our Father. We thank you that we can come before you and that you do hear our prayer as we lift it up with the righteousness of Christ. Please, be with each one of us. We're starting out on a journey together this weekend. Draw us closer to you, to each other. And Father, fill our hearts with a passion and love for those that you love. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.